This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you sign up today using the show's link, that's Hired.com slash you can get double the normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at Hired.com slash RubyRogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we have special guest Noel Rappin. Noel, you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. Yeah, so we had you on episode 30, which was we talked about software craftsmanship. We also had you on episode 185, where we talked about Rails 4 test prescriptions. And then the latest one was 281, where we talked about Take My Money. And that was just yeah. you and I. Uh, yeah. Back when we had some changes <laughs> in the Rogues lineup. I, I remember it well, yes. We're, we're going to dive in, get your story, find out what you're working on these days. But yeah, Noel is also, just for the listener, one of those people that whenever I wind up going to a Ruby conference, it seems like I always wind up running into and hanging out with him a whole bunch. So That is true. I, and I haven't done as many of the regional conferences in the last couple of years, but yes, I do. Def- we've definitely done that. Yep. Yeah, I, I haven't been to a Ruby conference in quite a while. I need to yeah. make it a point to get back out to him. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's go ahead and dive in and uh, tell people your story. You've been programming Ruby for quite a while. You were one of the people that were in Ruby when I got into it. How did you get into programming? So I originally got into programming. I have sort of the like stereotypical nerdy kid back, uh, overeducated background. So <laughs> I uh, I started programming when I was actually kind of young, I, I started taking like after school classes mm-hmm. in Applesoft Basic at a place near my house that, that ran classes on this motley collection of Apple IIs and TRS-80 uh, and Texas Instruments and a couple of other, other things that didn't survive even a, a little teeny bit. It was like, it, I was old enough, I'm old enough that, that we were like saving onto regular cassette tape. Uh, <laughs> nice. So yes, yeah, this was a long time ago. Very cool. So I'm not sure what your the rest of your background is. Do you have a computer science degree or? I do. Okay. I have I have a computer science degree and a graduate degree in 
actually a PhD. So there. I actually I don't say that out loud very often. <laughs> it's Dr. A, a, Noel Raffin. Dr. Noel, yeah. I have a PhD from the College of Computing at Georgia Tech, which was in sort of the intersection of user interface design and ed tech. So I was designing interfaces for teaching, specifically for teaching engineers and developers. So that that's my background. I my undergrad computer science degree was from a very liberal art school. It was not the most rigorous computer science degree compared to some of the other people I met in grad school that had gone to engineering undergrad schools. But yeah. Nice. So uh, how did you get into Ruby then? I came out of grad school and immediately went to a small web development company. Uh, we would call them a web consultant company now, but that was not really a term that got used at the time and started doing a bunch of different scripty kind of languages. And eventually I very much remember when I bought the pickaxe book, I had been hearing some things about Ruby and I bought the pickaxe book for myself as a birthday present mm -hmm. and started, got into it, liked it, didn't have a whole lot of reason for preferring it over Python. Uh, I was on windows at that time and, and the very early days of Ruby in the, the not the very early days, but in the like, mid 2000s Ruby, uh, Ruby's performance on Windows was very, very bad. Uh, specifically file IO was really, really bad on Windows. And that prevented me from using it at the job that I was at because mm -hmm. I started, I wrote some scripts up in it. We did some like performance tests. It was terrible and we kind of stopped. And then I started hearing about Rails in about 2005 through, I don't even remember where, various and sundry places where they were talking about Rails. And having been one of the people who had done a lot of like the Java struts web development that, that Rails was created in opposition to, I like searched it out pretty quickly and started using it in like, um, I don't know, 2005, 2006 for some internal tools for my team. I built a task tracker and a couple of other things that my team was using internally different it was, you know, we were doing Java development. We weren't even doing web development, but I built a couple of web apps uh -huh. for us to collaborate because uh, we were remote. It was global remote. I was working with some developers in Poland and we, we needed tools that we didn't have and really liked it. And actually, you know, simultaneously was doing book writing in Python and some stuff like that. And while I was, you know, as, as I got comfortable with it at that point, more or less simultaneously, I contracted uh, to do a Ruby book, a Ruby on Rails book for Rocks, and got a full-time professional Ruby job. More or less ten years ago this summer, both, both of them. Uh, wow. <laughs> so, so what was it about Ruby that that attracted you, that got you excited about it? So, I've always liked scripting languages. I've always liked dynamic, relatively low ceremony languages. I, I, I did a lot of work in Python for a while. And I, but I think the thing that, that drove me in it and kept me in it was being able to do Rails development. Like there was something about, especially in the early days, it really was like extraordinary how quickly you could do things in Rails compared uh -huh. to the Java tools. And even compared to Django, which was more or less contemporaneous, um, had, it was missing a couple things that Ruby had. Ruby emphasized testing, the Rails community emphasized testing. And I was already kind of sold on that through the original XP community so and i really hated dealing with writing Rust sql and <laughs> rails had active record it was actually very very similar rails was very very similar to some tools that i had been building 
myself actually in Python, but I, I mean, obviously I had nowhere near the backing or the time to put on it to make these tools anywhere near as polished, but, but, and I think there were a lot of people thinking along similar architectural lines. Mm -hmm. Rails seemed, when I first encountered Rails, it seemed to be like the fully fleshed out idea that I had had like a weird sketch of and was doing stuff with. Nice. There's a weird publishing story about this too, because in about Right before that, like 2003, 2004, I was working with a publisher who maybe I shouldn't name, uh, not O'Reilly, not Prague, but a big, but a big tech book publisher. Uh -huh. And I, I put, I had a pitch to them about how you don't need a framework because the Java frameworks are terrible. All you need to do is, is write this thing that will generate HTML and this thing that will generate SQL and you can build web apps. And I had a proposal to them. And they wanted to call it the little web engine that could. Oh, God. And I was like, huh? And I ran that past a couple of friends and they were all like, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. And, and eventually the proposal kind of died. But that was kind of my mindset when I came, when I first saw Rails. Gotcha. So you've been working in uh, Ruby and Rails for a while. And the things that I know you for are mostly your books. Do you want to just kind of run through what, what you have out there as far as books go and, and some of those contributions that you've made to the Ruby community? Uh, yeah, that's mostly been, I think, my community-wide contribution, certainly my most visible one, I think. I have, so let's see, I had this this book from Rocks, which was out of date 30, 40 seconds after it was published. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, normal in this industry. Yeah, it's normal in this industry. It was, it was particularly, <laughs> the whole second chapter was about how to launch Rails from Subversion, and five weeks after the book came out, they moved to GitHub. So it was, <laughs> yeah, it was not... Not ideal. I don't know how many people ever bought it. It's got a particularly terrible black and white picture of me on the cover, as those rocks books tended to. Sometime after that, I started self-publishing Rails test prescriptions, and shortly after that, was convinced to submit it to Pragmatic, and they purchased it. And so they published uh, Rails test prescriptions. I think I think it's six years ago now, uh, maybe more than that. After that, I did a series of self-published JavaScript books called Master Space and Time with JavaScript, uh, which are actually, they're, they're also pretty out of date, but they're uh, free now, so you can get them at my website. There's still some interesting stuff in there, I think. I did a self-published book about projects called Trust Driven Development that you can still get. And I did a book about purchasing, about handling money and web purchases and mostly the Stripe API, which is called Take My Money, uh, which came out last summer. And I am currently, God, this seems like a lot as I spell it all out. <laughs> I am currently working on a Rails 5 test prescriptions, which will include all the new Rails 5.1 system tests and things like that, and will come out this fall. Nice. I do also program. <laughs> I actually write code. Right. You work for uh, TableXI. Do you want to talk a little bit about them and what they do? Yeah, TableXI is a, a web consulting firm in Chicago. We're about 35 people. We do... Rails development, we do websites, we do a lot of mobile development, we're starting to do a lot of React Native development, other people, I haven't gotten into that yet. So it's websites for companies that are not on the web, uh, they're not, sorry, that are not web software companies, but need web pages. So it, it tends to be a, a big assortment, um, some nonprofits, some startups. Right. Very cool. We, we tend to, we, we like to focus on, you know, solving business problems with software rather than solving technology problems with software. Right. So what are you working on these days? So I'm doing a couple of different things right now. I have my own podcast, which is called Tech Done Right, which is largely me and 
a external guest and often a, a table XI another table XI employee as well. Um, we've done a couple of really interesting things. The the most recent episode was with Sarah May. I did a cool episode with Michael Feathers. That was fun. And I did a weird a cool episode that was not mainline tech with a with somebody I know who is who is in charge of the Medicare Medicaid program under President Obama was actually the person who was called in to fix healthcare.gov. Mm-hmm. after healthcare.gov imploded right. and has some interesting stories about what that was like from a management perspective, a uh, software management perspective. That's really interesting. From the development side, I work on, I've been doing a lot of Rails development, some JavaScript development, played with Vue, building purchase sites for a nonprofit, doing a lot of upgrade work recently. I spent a fair amount of time upgrading through the Rails through forensic analysis and, and archaeological digs of old Rails code. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of a, a, a just a, a range of development stuff. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, this has actually gone kind of fast. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right. I can tell. What, what else do you want me to talk about? Well, I'm curious. You know, it's just, do you have some... I don't know with the rails upgrades, you know, just some horror stories or something. I mean, so I, I mean, like I had, so, I mean, this upgrade was actually really, I mean, it was, it was a rails two application that was still in active development that we pushed forward for a while and actually went surprisingly smoothly. It was interesting to me that the rails community, which at one point was so bad at managing upgrades that, that the conventional wisdom was you find the place where your thing, where your code works and stay there forever, mm-hmm. which is, you know, some places I worked out, got stuck on rails two, three, the last version of active record before our monkey patch broke right forever. And now it does seem like the community's gotten better. It gets better and better at managing new tools without breaking old ones. And the security needs push people towards the best practice being to stay up front but you have this whole class of applications that were built like on one side of that and are now trying to cross the chasm because they want the security updates or because they want some feature, something like internationalization or something that was added to rails later. Uh, and they now need to jump, you know, through seven years of rails development to get to the point where they want to be. It's, it's interesting problem. So one other thing that uh, you talked about there for a minute, I'm not sure if it was before the call or I think it was when I asked about TableXI. You mentioned that, you know, people are getting into React Native and a lot of other areas. I think before the call you mentioned that, you know, your TableXI is working on not just Ruby projects, but may have an Elixir project or two. We, yeah, we, yeah, we've been exploring. So, yeah, like a lot of Ruby companies, we're, we've been exploring, you know, what the next tools are. You know, I think that we're still... It's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing that I've been seeing at, at RailsConf since I've been, I've been going to RailsConf for like nine years right. and watching it, you know, watching it be from like the, we are the scrappy underdog. Nobody takes us seriously framework to being on the, are we dying kind of yeah. side of it has been interesting. And this year I think was, there was a lot less of like, are we dying? And a lot more of like, yeah, we're just mature. Like mm-hmm. this is where we are. And we're just going to like the people who want to use this. We have a lot of stuff that does a lot of, we have a lot of tools to do a lot of cool stuff. And the people who want to use them are right. going to stay here. And the people who want to uh, explore other things are going to do that. And sometimes they will be the same people. Like we, 
are looking for we, we put we ran an elixir project it was originally an internal it was originally an internal prototype which is a great way to get new technology to sneak new technology into a company and then we wound up building it as kind of a smallish project that was largely api focused so it's the kind of thing that rails is not super great at and so we're holding on to that and we're we're exploring what to do with front-end stuff right now. I think that the the new... I'm really excited by the integration of Webpack with Rails mm-hmm. in 5.1 as, as opening the door to integrating... to opening the door to a lot of tools that were hard to integrate with Rails that are now much, much easier to integrate with Rails. So Elm or even React, uh, like all of the... and a bunch of testing tools that didn't really play super nice with the Rails asset pipeline now don't need to. You can just use their their native tools and, and Rails interacts with them really, really, really well. And I'm very interested to see where that goes. I'm very interested to see what the Rails community does to Webpack. I think that 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 it's like a tremendous amount of configuration in Webpack in a way that the Rails community has historically been kind of allergic to and has routed around and tried to avoid. And I'm very curious to see if some sort of tool, more integration tool, gets created there to simplify those webpack right rigs. So yeah, so it's 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 a mix. Like we still feel like Rails is still a great way for a small team to be able to act like a bigger team. But there's you know we still look for new technologies where where they're appropriate and where where we can fit them in. Yeah, it's interesting because you know the more I talk to people, I talked to Dave Thomas last week, and he's you know he's all in on uh, Elixir. Yeah. And, it's just been interesting because it's like, okay, well, because he also talks about, you know what? A lot of times I have a problem to solve. I just reach for Ruby because it's easy. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It feels like in some ways the Ruby community is moving on to other technologies. And in other ways, you know, we're still in Ruby because it's awesome and it does what it needs to do and it solves the problem. And so, yeah, I think there's a, maybe a pretty, an increasingly sharp, understanding of what Ruby and Rails are good for and what might be the purview of other mm-hmm. tools. Like I feel like, yeah, like Elixir does a couple things that Ruby doesn't do very well uh, and it does them pretty well. And the syntax, like it's, you know, it's one of a bunch of tools now that have been designed by people who like cut their teeth during Rails development and then decided to bring those principles to other, <laughs> yep. to other, to other uh, areas. And that's great. So we're sort of, you know, in some ways that, that sensibility is sort of colonizing, you know, other tool spaces. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I, Ruby has been my go-to language for personal things for a really long time. And it's strange because before that, like I would learn new languages like pretty frequently. And for a very long time, Ruby and JavaScript have been the only languages I've coded in professionally. And I'm trying to reach out on that to, to things like Elm and Elixir and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that, because like, it's also interesting to learn these new tools that make you think right. about programming, make you think about programming in different ways. As a lot of people who start with Ruby can learn a lot from going off to a functional language like Elixir or, or you know, something that has a pattern matching type language like Elixir. and uh, just causes you to think about the way your program works in a completely different way. Yep. Well, cool. The last part of this show is picks. This episode is sponsored by Ruby Dev Summit, coming October 16th through 23rd, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. 
I reached out to some of my friends in the Ruby community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Uncle Bob Martin, Fabio Akita, and others covering topics from clean architecture to artificial intelligence and machine learning. The talks are happening throughout the day each day, and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to rubydevsummit.com. So I'm curious, do you have anything that you want to shout out about? Anything you're working on or anything that uh, you think is cool? Oh, that was a part I didn't prepare for. Oh, wait, no, I have. I always have things. I always have things that I've been going on. So as I said, like lately I've been going on and on about Elm to anybody that will, will like, We'll listen, and I'm not 100% sure why, except that the, the build tools for it are extraordinary, and I don't think I would have like gotten as far as I had with it if the compiler tools and things like that weren't as, as well thought out as they are. So I've been really trying to learn that and learn that ecosystem and, and hopefully be able to, to you know bring it to projects as a alternative to React for things that maybe React is too complicated for. What else am I shouting out? Technically, I've been also, you know, involved in building, in, in, you know, writing a new version of the book. I would shout out the podcast again, but I already kind of did that. I usually recommend books on this program. I have a good one that I think people, I actually think that people on here will like. Uh, there's an author, a sci-fi fantasy author named Martha Wells, uh, who I've been a fan of for some time. She's largely written fantasy up till now, but she wrote her first uh, SF book, which is actually a novella. It's called... The, it's part of a series called The Murderbot Diaries, and the book is called All Systems Red. Uh-huh. And uh, the main character is a sentient robot with what appears to be social anxiety disorder. Like, he just really kind of like a little bit like Marvin the Martian from the the uh, <laughs> from the from Hitchhiker's books, but with a real security job that he is trying to hide the fact that he's self-aware from the people that he's trying to protect. And he also, like doesn't want to deal with them and just wants to sit in his bunk and watch and like stream TV shows. Um, and then things go terribly wrong. Uh, and it's super well, super fun. Very, uh, the, the voice of the main character, the murder bot is great. And that's, that's, that's the book I'm recommending to everybody right now. Awesome. I usually am good about picks too, but, uh, I am drawing a major blank today actually i will pick one thing let me grab it real quick so i can show it to you i know there's not video for the people who are watching that or listening but that's fine i had this guy send me these cups i tried to yeah. i tried to pull it off of my desk the wrong way and it wouldn't come so they have this interesting bottom that kind of suctions to your desk and if you try and uh, tip it over it won't tip uh. over but if you pull it straight up it comes right off the desk and so, you know, those of us who work in the industry and hate the fact that, you know, if it doesn't seal or, you know, it might spill, they've got these cups. It's called the Mighty Mug. And I'm going to be doing a video on it here before too long but uh, and putting it up on YouTube. But anyway, they're kind of cool cups. And I've it's funny because I get bored sometimes. And so I'll set it on my desk and I'll just play with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, yeah. And then, yeah, you can't see what Chuck's doing, but he was like whacking this cup on his desk, uh, in a way that would make you fear for his keyboard. Yeah. Uh, if, if he was actually doing it with a normal cup. Yeah. And they're, they're, uh, they're kind of like coffee cups. So yeah, you looks probably, like a commuter. looks like a commuter's mug. Yeah. There's so. a suction cup on 
one other tool, a couple tools that I've actually been using a lot lately that, that first of all, uh, I've been using, if you haven't checked out Atom Code Editor because you think it's too slow and you're on Sublime, it's gotten a lot faster and it's got really nice Git and GitHub integration in the last round where it, you can do Git commits and diff merges right in the tool in a pretty nice way. That's cool if you haven't checked it out recently. I have been using Audio Hijack for podcasting kind of things. If you do any sound stuff on a Mac and you ever want to do stuff like have output from one program go to one file while output from another program sound goes to another file, like if you're trying to record two things at once to different files, it's really simple. Even somebody like me who is basically a total novice at audio stuff can figure out how to do pretty cool things. And another thing that I started using recently is a note app uh, for Mac and iOS called Bear, which is, like I said, it's a it's basically a markdown note app that syncs between Mac and iOS. And it is distinguishable because it's of all of the different apps that I've used that try and render markdown as you type it. Um, it's by far the prettiest and, and most well thought out. Uh, so it is a note app that's good enough to do real writing in, um, and also works as just something to draw to, to sketch notes in. Nice. One other thing I am going to pick is there's a program called phrase express. If you've used text expander, it's mm-hmm. basically a drop in for that, but text expander, they kind of ticked me off because they went to a subscription model. Instead of just, hey, buy the program that you're going to use all the time. And then, anyway. Which are really expensive. Yeah. It did not make sense to me at all. So, anyway, I've been using Phrase Express. I think it's open source. It's definitely free and it works just as well. So, I've been happy with that. I've been, I switched over to Alfred. Alfred added, just added support for most of the things that Text Expander does. And I just moved all my snippets there. Yep. So, anyway. so yeah, this is my app story. <laughs> Things I use, my workflow with null wrapping. Uh, yeah, I've just I, I had a complete fit. <laughs> Text expander, and then I moved all my stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Noel. If people want to find your stuff, uh, see what you're working on these days, anything like that, is yeah. it your website or yeah. Twitter or what? Twitter at Noel Rap, N-O-E-L-R-A-P. Uh, and on the web at noelrappin.com is a pretty good clearinghouse for anything that, that I'm doing right now. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we will catch everyone next week. All right. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.